about uh, two or three minutes before the pastoral prayer, I realized I didn't have my glasses. And I'm kind of looking under the chairs, trying to figure, what on earth did I do? I have no idea where they are. Uh, they, they could be at home. They could be in this building somewhere. They, who knows? In the trash. Who, who knows? Um, but God is sovereign, and I think my eyes still function. So even with small print, I think I'll be able to manage. Good morning and Merry Christmas for a few more days and Happy New Year. Uh, I'm excited to dive in uh, this morning. The sermon is titled In Every Season, and this is because I was tipped off uh, several years ago to little business cards that uh, Pastor Keith had handed out, and on the backside it said, In Every Season. And when we were the Noblesville Project before uh, we were called Living Branch Church, um, that little phrase was used uh, to do some marketing in the community. And so I emailed Keith and said, uh, hey, um, is, there, is there like a really good story behind this? Because I really want to use it for my sermon. And he goes, I, I don't really have a story. We, we used it for our marketing. And so uh, I have to come up with my own stories. I, I thought I had my sermon written for me. Uh, I still had to write one and uh, still had to prepare one. Um, let's pray and ask the Lord uh, to bless the preaching this morning. Father in heaven, we ask that you would speak to us this morning through your word, that we would receive the food of your holy word. And would you plant your truths deep in us, shape and fashion us in your likeness, as the song says. And I pray that you would bless the preaching to the glory of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. We live in a world that is ever-changing. And God, of course, is unchanging, but we can't escape the reality that life is always changing. Uh, Courtney and I, when we made our Christmas trip to Fort Wayne, as we do, we annually make our way back to Noblesville, and we always dread that hour. So you guys know what I'm talking about. When you get back from a trip, you uh, get the kids inside or you, uh, you know, go to the bathroom or whatnot. You come back out and you got to unpack the car. And you got to bring everything inside and figure out where everything goes again. So I was scrambling and I ended up making our way to a couple drawers in our bedroom. And I kind of got on a bit of a cleaning kick. Um, this doesn't come naturally. We have junk drawers that are just jam-packed with a bunch of nonsense. But uh, on occasion, I'll get in the mood to kind of filter through things and throw things away and look through things. Well, I noticed uh, some letters that Courtney had written to me over the years and uh, just kind of read back through anniversaries, birthdays, Christmases. And I noticed how what she had written had so perfectly captured what was going on in our lives at that particular time, the joys, the sorrows. And interestingly enough, behind those letters were our wedding vows. Now, we did write our own wedding vows, uh, but we made sure to include that really common set of phrases that uh, those who often will uh, just borrow vows or uh, even if they write their own, will include these phrases, right? What are those phrases? For better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in joy and in sorrow, in sickness and in health, 
to have and to hold as long as we both shall live. Now, why do married couples take these vows? Well, a marriage is strong insofar as Christ is the point, which means, by the way, that marriage is temporary. The purpose which marriage serves only happens in this life, and there is no marriage in the new heavens and the new earth. But a marriage is also strong insofar as that couple knows from day one that hard days will inevitably come and that you have to be prepared for the good seasons and the bad seasons. That's why we take vows. Well, um, we're celebrating our wedding. The very next morning, we have to get on a plane uh, for our honeymoon. And of course, in typical Cody fashion, I say, we have plenty of time. And uh, my wife, uh, with her wisdom, said we, we need to get to the airport, you know, an hour or two before the flight leaves. And I go, we're good. Um, I'm, I'm driving, so, so we'll be fine. We missed our flight uh, on our honeymoon. And we got through security, and we looked all the way down a hallway. And at the very end of the hallway is a gigantic window in the Indianapolis airport. And Courtney and I, with our bags, are running full speed as we watch our plane slowly back away from the building. And so it began on day one. God had planned in his sovereignty to teach me that day. And on the first day of our marriage, Cody was Bozo the Clown. Both things were true at the same time. God is sovereign. Cody is Bozo. Both of those things were true. Do you know that the same thing is the case with our involvement in a local church? It's easy for some of us to forget that God is sovereign, and it's easy for some of us to forget that we are responsible. And for some of us still, we don't have a relationship with Jesus. And so if that's you today, Will today be the day that you turn from yourself and put trust and faith in Jesus alone for your salvation? Today can be that day. God is sovereign and we are responsible. See, we have a relationship with the church. Because the church is the bride of Christ, Jesus died on a cross and rose from the dead for his bride. And he promises in the word that he will make his bride beautiful in good time. And so we look at Ecclesiastes 3, 1 to 15. See, a few summers ago, we went through the book of Ecclesiastes, but unless someone is ready to quote Ecclesiastes 3, 1 to 15 verbatim, I'm going to plan to proceed and still preach this passage. This is the most popular passage in the book of Ecclesiastes. And what's going on here is there is a preacher, uh, Kohelet is his name. And uh, the reason that the book is called Ecclesiastes is because this is the Greek Old Testament name for a one who delivers a message to an assembly. So in the New Testament, when we say the word church, we're simply referring to an assembly. And so the preacher, about 10th century BC, give or take, is delivering a message as he personally is going on a journey to seek out whether or not there is meaning in a world that is ever-changing 
And a lot of times is frustrating because of that change, right? The life that we live is confusing. The life that we live is often frustrating. And we're on a search like the preacher to find meaning, to find purpose. Of course, this at the turn of a new year is going to apply to us as individuals, but individuals make up communities. So I want to look at this passage through the lens of a local church and to think about what is the meaning of fearing God and keeping his commandments as we consider ourselves as the bride of Christ, the body. Well, let's take a look at verse one to learn how we are to do this. Take a look at Ecclesiastes 3, verses 1 to 8. This is the word of the Lord. For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. I'm sure none of you know what that's like. A time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. You notice there in verses two through eight, there's kind of a beautiful flow of poetry there, right? And what we're hearing again and again is a time, a time, a time, a time. And it almost creates this patternistic feel that, wow, the situation changes pretty quickly, right? Well, in verse one there, all of this is pointing back to verse one as the thesis, For everything, there is a season. And this simply means that for everything that goes on in our lives, there is an appropriate human reaction to the occasion. Well, duh, (laughs) right? But look at the last part of verse one. And a time for every matter under heaven. See, the preacher feels a need to tell us what we already know for this reason. We forget that every season we experience in our lives is completely under the reign of God. It's easy to forget that God is sovereign. It's easier to say it. Zach Eswine commenting on Ecclesiastes 3 says this about the various seasons of life. He says, it's nice to play outside in the yard, but we cannot relate to tornado conditions the same way that we would if the skies were clear and blue. To do so would harm us all. A young man and a young woman who previously enjoyed spontaneous evenings out now have a baby to care for. Parents will collide with a new teenager until they realize that the times have changed. Amen, teenagers? A good driver 
is now 80 years old and her adult children are coming to her and saying, you can't drive a car anymore. Many of our frustrations arise from our blindness to the change of seasons or to the pain or joy of them. And we struggle to adjust our expectations. Therefore, we try to control others and God to stay within the behaviors that we prefer rather than to learn how to change and how to adjust teachably, slowly, and adequately according to the grace of God's wisdom. If we learned anything at all in 2020, it's that we are not the creator of the universe. (laughs) We are not the center of the universe. God runs the show. We were supposed to be a particular church months ago. We were supposed to execute on outreaches that we had planned over the summer and during the fall. We were supposed to take our youth group down to Spring Hill Camp. We were supposed to have a Coca-Cola machine and really cool V-neck t-shirt lineups. No, we weren't. God decides. And of course, this brings up the obvious, right? God's timing is not our timing. And we fight against that, don't we? Don't forget to look up. On New Year's Day, I got to uh, go on a hike with some of you to Kotiwi Park. And in the midst of holiday chaos, it was really refreshing and nice to stop and just see God's creation, the river, the trees, sky. Don't ask Tom or David or Ken about my parking job. I was particularly excited to get there. And part of why this was redemptive for me was because on December 21st, I was really excited to go see the Christmas star. You might've seen that in the news that uh, for the first time since 1623, when Galileo noticed it, that Jupiter was passing Saturn. And they've done this plenty, but uh, what made this particular occasion unique was how close they were to one another. And uh, with the visible naked eye, you would be able to look southwest and see this happening. Well, uh, where our house uh, is located, it was completely cloudy and we weren't able to see it at all, but we were getting pictures from friends and seeing things on Facebook. Well, using the movements of the sun, planet, and stars, uh, we can get a bit of an idea about what the wise men would have seen in Matthew 2 as they were ready to make their way to Bethlehem. And we watched this uh, really neat video that Ball State's Planetarium put out. And essentially, uh, there, there are a number of theories about what this could have been, right? So uh, was it an exploding star that they saw? Was it uh, the collision of planets? Uh, was it um, another conjunction? Maybe an exceptionally bright comet? We don't know. But here's what we do know. God controls the time, and the seasons. And every time you look at your clock, every time you check the weather, you are coming into contact with the reality that there is an all-wise, all-powerful, all-loving creator who orchestrates every minute and orchestrates every day perfectly. One of the things that I love about being Presbyterian is that while the world is scrambling to seek to explain how we can control the course of time, we've already given up. 
and at least theologically, right? Maybe not practically, but theologically we've given up and said, God is wise and present and mighty. He controls our lives. So he cares for us as a church. And so then our call is to accept that. Do we accept that? But there's a second point that I want to make this morning. And uh, against my Presbyterianism, there are only two points to this sermon rather than three. Let's take a look at verses 9 to 15. What gain has the worker from his toil? I've seen the business that God has given the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he's put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all this toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever and nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. And so the ultimate conclusion of the preacher at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes is that we fear God and keep his commandments. Well, we may fear God in theory, but we only fear God in practice if we keep his commandments. And so even though it's great as a church that we can say God is sovereign, he controls the time and the seasons, we will only believe that fully if we also obey his commandments, which means as a church, we can't simply stand by and watch. It's impossible to really fear God unless we get in the game. Are you in the game? Let's consider our second point that God, while he has given us a season under heaven, He's also given us work to do on earth. In verses 1, 9, and 11, you'll notice that God is the giving agent here. So just like Adam and Eve in the garden, God gave them a task to work the garden and to keep it, right? They were given a role. And so we have a business to be busy with, as Ecclesiastes says. But God also wants us to stay humble as we do that work. Take a look there at the next verse. He has put eternity into man's heart. Does this mean that God's saved everyone? No. There's a lot of ideas about what this might mean, that God has put eternity into man's heart. Most scholars agree that it's the sense that we all have that there is a life beyond the present life. And it's it's a life that we are too limited to figure out. So part of the frustration of the preacher is he keeps trying to figure it out. And we are called to accept our limitations. Eternity here is the same word used for God's forever activity in verse 14. And commentator Max Rogland encourages us, rather than becoming embittered about the things that God has not given us, rather we are called to enjoy the gifts that God has given us and to get to work. But who's it really going to benefit in the end if we do the work? Will it benefit us? Will it benefit God? Will it benefit others? 
And then we ask, well, who really does the work of the church? Pastors? Paid staff? This is what a lot of Christians today think. But in all reality, all the people in the assembly are called here by the preacher to fear God in verse 14. Take a look. Everyone is called to take pleasure in their toil in verse 13. And mankind is to joyfully do good in verse 12. See, we all have a job and role to play in the body of Christ. I've listened to Pastor Keith talk for three years in all kinds of meetings. And I've listened to our ruling elders talk for three years. And you want to know what one of the things I hear the most is? This is Christ's church, not ours. See, we are under shepherds as elders of the chief shepherd. This is Christ's church. And this is good because it helps guard against worldly power trips that some leaders and some churches might have. But it's good for another reason as well. You don't have to be a pastor to be important in the kingdom of God. And how do we know this? Take a look at Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, 11 to 12. It says that God gave the shepherds to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Didn't say God equipped the paid staff to do the work of ministry or equip the pastors to do the work of ministry. God gave the shepherds to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So what does that mean? Well, pastors and elders have an important job to do too, right? Let me give you an illustration. William Carey was uh, considered the founder of modern missions. And uh, he took a visit to India and looking around at his band of brothers, he said, I will go down if you will hold the rope. And what he was essentially saying is, I will be a missionary to the people in India as long as you guys back in England do whatever you can to make this possible. And so Andrew Fuller in the 1700s kept his promise and held the rope. He taught doctrine. He recruited people. He sent encouragements to those on the front lines, and he formed what was called the Baptist Missionary Society out of his own home. And the result of this was that William Carey was then able to be freed up to translate the Bible into six different languages. He had a gift in Latin, and he realized, uh, I'm really strong in language. I want to be able to do this, but I can't do this unless other people make this possible. See, your leadership, we are, we are holding the rope and you are being dropped into your workplaces, into your neighborhoods, into your families to do the work of the ministry. We need the whole body of Christ to do this thing. William Carey in his most famous sermon said this, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. Are you expecting great things from God this morning? Insofar as that's true, you will attempt great things for God. 
we are all responsible. And it's that belief that it is Christ's church, not ours, that actually moves us to obedience. And Jesus himself is our example. He, under uncertain conditions, obeyed God perfectly, not knowing how things would turn out in every season. And you want to know what Jesus said in the gospel of Mark? The time is fulfilled. And the apostle Paul supports that when he says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law, so that what? We might receive adoption as sons and daughters. For God's children, his timing is always perfect. And he calls us to seize the moment. What does this mean for 2021? First, don't give up on God. Don't forget that he will take care of you, church. I know that this is a difficult season in the life of our church. Let's just be honest. Let's face it, family. Some of you are angry. Some of you are anxious. Some of you are distracted. Some of you are tired. This is our moment as a church. How will we respond to our moment? Reminded of the famous line from the Fellowship of the Ring where Frodo and Gandalf are talking to one another and Frodo says, I wish it need not have happened in our time. And Gandalf said, so do I. And so do all who live to see such moments. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. Galatians 6, 9 says, and let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. So don't give up. But second, do our words and actions reflect the word of God? Think about that for a second. as you think about the last year. Now, a marathoner knows well not to share their New Year's resolutions with other runners because they will soon after be caught elbow deep in a bag of Cheetos. But Christians should share their New Year's resolutions with one another as the body of Christ. We need to hold one another accountable. Put something down on paper. Hand it to a brother or a sister and say, this is what I want to do to honor God this year. This is the new step of faith that I want to take in 2021. Will you hold me to this, brother or sister? Pray about that. Who here in this room do you trust and want to ask this year to hold you accountable as you seek to become more like Christ in 2021? The other night I was journaling about what my New Year's resolution might be or resolutions. And here's what I'm going to work on in 2021. I'm going to work on my mouth. Say, work on your mouth. I want the Bible to come out all the time when I talk. I want God's principles 
and God's heart to come out of my mouth when I speak. I'm tired of my sin, aren't you? (laughs) I'm tired of not believing the gospel. I'm tired of making things about Cody. I want things to be about Jesus. And I want my posture to leak out the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Proverbs 15, 23 says, a word in season, how good it is. Don't we want that? Don't we want to be that timely word for one another? This doesn't mean that God always calls us to say and do nice things, right? Sometimes Jesus had to do hard things. Jesus wasn't always a nice guy. But we can't eliminate the call of scripture to be faithful to God's word. Paul's encouragement to Timothy is that we preach the word and to be ready in season, be ready out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort, yes, but with complete patience and teaching. We can't share God's word with the world if we don't know God's word. So over here on this table, we have some Bible plans. It's really neat. Crossway put these together. There's a one-year, two-year, or four-year option, depending on how fast you want to go. I want to encourage you, if you don't have a plan for 2021, how you want to be in God's word, pick up one of those pieces of paper. This doesn't oblige you to follow through with that particular plan. Pick up a piece of paper, take it home, set it on your desk or on your kitchen counter. How might God get you in the word this year? I want to be a person of the Bible and we as a church want to be Bible people. Let's stay in the word together. When Courtney walked down the aisle in 2011, the song that we selected was a favorite of hers by Nicole Nordeman called Every Season. And I think these lyrics capture this idea of God making his bride beautiful in its time. And I want to share these with you as we close. And everything in time and under heaven finally falls asleep, wrapped in blankets white, All creation shivers underneath. So it is with you when branches crack and in my breath on frosted glass. Even now in death, you open doors for life to enter. You are winter. And everything that's new is newly surfaced, teaching us to breathe. (laughs) What was frozen through is newly purposed, turning all things green so it is with you and how you make me new in every season's change. And so it will be as you are recreating me, summer, autumn, winter, and spring. He's going to do something beautiful with you, Living Branch Church. I believe it. The question is, will we be found faithful to the task that he calls us to? God loves you and God cares about you. Let's pray now. Father, thank you that you are God in every season. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you are protecting us. 
I pray, Lord, that we would be found faithful to you this next year. And I pray as we come to your table, that it would be a sweet refreshment and sweet reminder that you feed your people. When we thirst, when we hunger, you will provide for us. We look forward to being your servants out in a world that is in desperate need to hear good news. So thank you for the good news that we get to experience each and every day. We pray, Lord, all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to invite you to stand, if you're able, and turn your attention to the Apostles' Creed. And of course, this is a proclamation of the founding uh, beliefs of our faith and a reminder of the gospel. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to the dead. The third day he arose again. He ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated.